welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tube Show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks so much for listening. This is a lived experience and one that I think is better shared. And if you like the show, consider supporting it by showing me the love on the show link. Every little bit helps. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Welcome to episode 15 of the No Feeding Tips show. I'm Yvonne McLaren and today I want to talk about a topic that is very dear to my heart. And it was actually a question asked by a friend of mine who happens to be a really good chef um, and is a caterer. And she asked me, you know, what what can I make for you? And I actually said to her, you know what, I'm going to use that question as an episode because I suspect worldwide people are always asking, what can you do for the person who's had head and neck cancer and now as a side effect um, suffers from dysphagia? So what can I make you? And here's how I respond. Um, you know, if head and neck cancer and subsequent dysphagia has taught me anything, it's the fact that I've learnt lots of new words. Um, things like dissolve rate, dissolve rate, uh, texture fatigue, uh, and my personal favourite, which is food refusal risk. Food refusal risk. So obviously, uh, for those amongst us who are listening and or watching who have been around the land of speech-language pathology for a while, probably have heard a few of those things. Not often used in our daily food lives, certainly not mine, um, and I tend to throw them out there uh, when I know I'm talking to someone in a medical um, scenario and they're asking me questions about my food intake, which is happening rarer and rarer on rarer occasions these days. So the three things that I want to talk about today around this, and it's a bit of a two-pronged uh, episode, this one, it's about helping you as the, the head and neck cancer dysphagia slash person and the people that are close to you in your life who ask the inevitable question when they say, come over for dinner or come and do this and what can I cook for you? How do you respond to that and what do you say to people in those situations? So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about managing their food expectations, managing your food expectations and how to manage that whole process generally. And, uh, you know, as we all know, this is lived experience for me. And uh, I, I try to be as, um, uh, as open and as generic as I can possibly be because we all know that we suffer in different ways uh, with dysphagia and with our eating and our food life after having had treatment. You know, I used to think that food uh, was a really sexy thing. I used to absolutely adore food. Now, the closest I get to sexiness is probably wearing oatmeal uh, 
in the crook of my elbow after an ill-timed sneeze. And, you know, and, and wearing food now doesn't quite have the same connotations as it perhaps did before uh, my treatment. So let's talk about this. And what I'm going to talk about today can apply to both business, social situations or, or even major events like weddings and engagement parties or mitzvahs or whatever it is that you're um, participating in around your food. So managing their food expectations. What I refer to there is, and I read somewhere the other day, if you are a chef, if you are someone who works in the food industry, and if you think for a moment that that is in some way going to help you help them well that's a that's a real yes or no answer right there and I'm trained in food and I had absolutely no idea how to transition off my peg tube back to oral eating and part of the reason why I've created um you know, the mind food body method, the courses, the resources, everything that I do online here is my way of trying to put in a non-overwhelm way information around food so that you can have a better food life. Now, if you're the brother, the son, the wife, the husband, the whoever that's a trained food professional and you're trying to help someone who has dysphagia after head and neck cancer treatment I'm not talking necessarily here around neurological or brain injury or um, those sorts of problems I can't talk to that because that hasn't happened to me and I'm also not talking about this from a a dementia point of view or elderly care or you know sit 90 degrees upright and help the person with a small spoon and you know don't wipe their mouth with the spoon use a cloth I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about people like me who have a whole lot of living yet to do that uh, struggle with a thought process around having a disability. And this is a disability. I'm, (laughs) I'm coming to terms with that. But that's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who just want to get on with their life, who just want to travel again, who just want to find the best best pathways to creating their best food life as a result of having this horrendous treatment. You know, it, we're lucky enough to be alive. Let's push that luck out a bit further and see that we can create some really good food and some social opportunities around food. So... Managing their food expectations. Uh, Don't assume anything when you are creating, making, developing food for people with dysphagia. Uh, And I also wrote down don't suggest, but uh, I'm a bit in two minds about that because Sometimes someone will suggest something and I go, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, and that might be just me because I tend to be um, a little bit um, – I'm, I'm a creative and I'm an ideas person, so I kind of think, oh, I probably would have already thought of it if I was going to – that's actually not a very good way to tackle it. But 
Don't suggest unless you know this person really well and you've lived with it. And by living with it, I mean day in, day out. You understand the nuances of the liquids, the textures, the acidity levels, the temperature, the the chilli heat, the spice heat. Unless you have a pretty good understanding of what that person can tolerate. Having said that, what worked last week isn't necessarily going to work this week. So... That's why I say be mindful of uh, their food expectations and you as the person providing that, that lovely offer of what can I make for you, what can I cook for you, check your own food expectations of that person. Just because something is soft doesn't mean that they can necessarily swallow it. Just because something is crunchy doesn't mean that they can't swallow it. I'm basing this all on my own experience. There is this phenomenal little texture and it's that sweet spot. And for me, I know what it is because it's just enough to grip. It's just enough for me not to choke on it and become a hazardous. It's just thick enough for it not to seep out the side of my mouth. It's just, and and we know intuitively, generally, if we're lucky enough to have good eyesight and understand food, we know by looking at it. So manage um, their food expectations by having that conversation with someone. And if they are a Michelin-trained chef, well, lucky you. Um, They still may not get it. They'll certainly understand how to add flavour. They'll certainly understand textures and purees and how to work those things together in different cuisines but they will not necessarily understand what is going to be okay for you. Uh, As an example I'm going out for dinner tomorrow night and um, this girlfriend had asked me, now she is a nurse, I'll give her that, but she asked me, she said what do you want at all, I think she gave me three or four options and that was the first time ever that someone Maybe not the first, but I went, oh, okay. Well, I could, as it turned out, I could have eaten all of them, but I opted for the, the softer, more vegetable-orientated one because, um, I don't know, um, ease for them. Um, you know, the, the focus is on having some conversation around another topic, so it wasn't really about the food. And I'm probably just going to take some soup up as well. Um, you know, but... The, but you know, look, make sure that you're managing the food expectations from their angle. And if you're the one doing it, make sure you're managing your own food expectations and not putting what you think they can manage uh, out as an option for them. Because <clears throat> nine times out of ten, it won't work. Um, managing your own food expectations. Now, by that, I mean... I kind of think you go through three stages with this head and neck cancer treatment. There's eat to survive. That's at the early stages when you're losing massive amounts of weight. Um, People are worried that you're going to be malnourished. Um, Are you getting the calories in? Uh, Are you eating regular meals and doing it regularly and not having big meals? Are you scheduling in food? even if you're not hungry, which happens quite a bit in those early days, and, you know, you start losing all this weight. So that's your eat-to-survive mode and managing your expectations then. You know, it's enough, as I've said before, 
just to get up and get your underpants on sometimes. So if that's where you're at, then manage your food expectations right there. I talk about this mind food body method in that, um, you know, we take those stages and we build on that to give you confidence around trying different things and getting you out into those social situations again. And that's when you start eating to maintain. So you eat to survive, eat to maintain, and maintaining is keeping your weight on. Um, And in my case, it was getting off those commercial formulas back to real food, so eating soft vegetables, soups, purees, smoothies, all that baby stuff, as I call it. Um, I must find a better word for it, but um, I'm studying purees at the moment. You'll be pleased to know so that I can really add in some layering of flavour around purees, but I'm not going to diverse or digress there just at the minute. So eat to maintain is maintaining, you know, the vital um, organs in your body that, that are undergoing all this trauma and trying to heal you and don't underestimate the amount of calories that you need in that maintenance time frame as well and then there's eat to live and that's where I am now so I've gone through the eat to survive eat to maintain and now I'm at the eat to live part of my journey and this is why I talk about managing those food expectations not only from the carer's point of view or friends family business colleagues uh you know, you've you've got to manage, everyone's got to manage the food expectations. They're only going to be able to manage your food expectations if you're up front and open about what you can eat. And I've talked about being embarrassed in previous episodes. Um, so, you know, you, you've got to have that elevated pitch right. You've got to be able to know what you've got to tell people in a really short amount of time so they get a snapshot of where you're at. That way, everybody can manage their own food expectations. Um, how to manage generally. Now, I come from a big family, and although most of my brothers and sister had moved on by the time I'd gotten to my teenage years. <laughs> I can remember my mother slapping the back of my brother's hands when they put too many knives in the jam jar on the kitchen table and jam flicked everywhere. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that I do when I go out with my friends and my family is... And I wouldn't do this in a business um, scenario, but I know I have done it in the past. I remember doing it in um, Sydney at a conference dinner one night. I actually ask to share, try, taste something off their plate. Now, this works really well, even if you're at home, but even if you're in a cafe in a restaurant, nine times out of ten, they're going to be eating something that you just know you couldn't manage. So what I do, I said, hey, do you mind if I just try a little bit of that beetroot chip or can I try a little bit of that whatever Spanish sausage it is or can I try a little bit of that dip on a bit of you know, carrot, raw carrot for me? Forget it, that's just never going to work. But sometimes um, you can explore and research other options by trying other people's food. Now... 
you might be in two minds about how that works for you. I don't care anymore. I mean, no, I, do, I care about you, but I don't care for me. I don't find that embarrassing. I have the confidence to do that. I will say to someone, can I try that, please? For example, one Christmas going back a couple of years ago, I have a brother-in-law who's a fisherman, uh, an abalone um, diver by trade, if you like, and I found out that I could eat fresh prawn, prawn meat much easier than crayfish or lobster meat, you might call it, uh, in the States. Who would have thought that the difference in that seafood flesh would have made so much difference? And the only reason that I know that is because I'm fortunate enough to have been in a seafood family and in Australia we have hot Christmas days so we eat a lot of cold meats and fish and that sort of thing and salads. So I was able to try that and I was able to try it off someone else's plate. So you don't have to go through all that wastage of... No, that didn't work, so that's going in the bin or wasting money because you've bought all this stuff and you just can't manage it or you can't eat it. So that's one thing that I do as a general way of um, helping people who have got dysphagia is allowing them to try stuff off your plate. Allow them to try something that they wouldn't normally try because they can't order it because they know in their mind, in their hearts, that they're not going to be able to manage it. But I tell you what, if you happen to be there the day that somebody with dysphagia or has any kind of eating, altered eating or difficulty, eat something that they've not been able to eat for years or they never thought they'd be able to eat again and they discover that, wows up I can eat that and my goodness it tastes great and oh I did I could swallow it and you know to be part of that is a really joyful moment um, for not only you as a person participating in that um, social situation but also for the person who has dysphagia it's a brilliant opportunity to try different food and be really experimental about it so I think if we're all a bit mindful about that and do it in a hygienic way, of course, um, don't stick it in your mouth and put it back on their plate. I mean, obviously, I don't know how close your family are, but that's something that I do, and I even do it when I'm out. Um, when you're out with people who have dysphagia or have had head and neck cancer or are discreetly feeding with a tube or whatever it is that they're doing, you might often hear them say things like, um, I can't eat and breathe and talk at the same time. I remember very early, very, very early on in my days of treatment when I said this to someone and um, the person that I said it to kind of made a joke out of it and laughed and went, oh, yeah, whatever they said. And I took offence to it because little did I know then, and I'm talking three years ago, that... I would still be in that situation now some three and a half years later. Uh, that person is no longer in my social circle, just as, as an FYI, but uh, I know that that's a, real, um, that's a really troublesome point is to try and eat, breathe and talk at the same time. You must, as someone going through this, focus only on eating. You can't... Um, eat and carry on a conversation and I don't know we were brought up to not eat 
with our mouths talk with our mouths full. Um, so I've very much gone back to that scenario of mindful eating. Um, I sip little bits of water, and I, I just say to people, "Listen, please talk amongst yourselves. Don't think it's weird that I'm not participating because it's not. I'm really happy to sit here and listen to you, and that takes the pressure." off me it takes the pressure off me talking and for, for someone like me that's a big thing because I love to be participating in conversation and talking about things and you know up-to-date politics and what's going on and current affairs and who's doing what and who's who's gone where and you know I've had to learn within my own self manage those food expectations and talk and talk expectations so let them eat, talk amongst yourselves, don't think it's weird because it's not. In fact, it takes the pressure off them and allows them to enjoy their meal whilst listening to you. <clears throat> and the last thing is, if you want to cook for someone, ask them exactly what it is that they can eat. And <clears throat> I'm even a bit more specific than just make me soup because I find um, even creamed corn can be corn can be problematic for me. Uh, I do like smoked paprika in things. I do like a little bit of um, madras curry paste in soups. Uh, I do like um, coconut milk in things. You know, pretty much things that have got oils, cream, avocado, um, if you can imagine ripe mango, pulped, those sort of textures for me work really well. And your head and neck cancer treatment dysphagia person will also know what works for them. So I look, I would even go as far as creating a bit of a list for yourself as to what you know you can eat generally. And as I said before, just because it's soft doesn't mean the person can swallow it or swallow it easily. I have real trouble to this day with scrambled eggs, still to this day. Boiled eggs, okay. Curried eggs, okay. Omelette, scrambled, mm, not so much. Same food product. Depends on the cooking technique, depends on how dry, how moist, sort of eggs, the fat content, range of things. So if you're going to cook for them, ask them specifically around what they normally eat and what they can eat. And if you're going to be creative, go and be creative around those things and always have a little backup. Have soup, always have soup, that always works. Just make it an interesting soup. Um, you know, I, I struggled with potatoes for a long time. Sweet potato was okay. So be really specific about responding to cooking requests and asking about cooking requests. And just because you're a chef do not or a cook, do not assume that you know what that person's going to be able to eat because you're not. Uh, not without knowing them very well, living with them, living daily in and out and what's going on with them, with their swallowing and their altered eating. And as we all know, what happens this week may not happen next week. So I'm going to wrap this up. I hope that's been useful. Um, what I want you to take away from this today is 
be specific about your food and your food expectations. Let them, being the people that have dysphagia and or who have had head and neck cancer treatment, be specific about how they can get involved in that social environment. Listen to them when they say, I can't talk, breathe and eat at the same time because they can't. Um, And let them make the decision as to whether or not they can eat something. And be really nice and let them try things off your plate. (laughs) Um, I actually think that's the way forward with us is people sharing food again off their plates. That is really helpful. It was really helpful to me. So that's episode 15. Come for dinner. What can I make for you and how to respond to that? And uh, I hope that's been helpful to you. And if you like the show, I'd ask you to write me a bit of a review because um, I'm getting uh, some great feedback and I'm, I'm really happy that what I'm talking about is useful to you. So please give me a review if you can, if you're listening on um, Apple Podcast or Google or wherever it is that you're listening or if you're watching here on YouTube, um, you get to watch me today and um, I just would love your feedback. I hope you're all eating well. I hope everyone's well wherever you might be in the world and um, I'm going to wrap this up and I hope you've enjoyed it and please leave me a review and if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel here and I'll leave a free resource down there below for you so you can jump into my little private group on my database, which would be great. Okay, everybody, um, eat well. Talk to you soon. See you later. Bye.